Welcome to Personal Financial Strategy, the podcast, a podcast wholly devoted to you and your relationship with money, bringing expertise to bear on how you earn, invest, and spend your hard-earned cash. I'm your host, Tony King, and today we welcome a special guest to the podcast, Rebecca Jensen. Rebecca is a CPA at Max QTC Incorporated, a business consulting firm focused on family office services. Rebecca has over 25 years of experience as a CPA and specializes in helping families retain assets and grow wealth across generations. Essentially, she helps families manage their family wealth like a business. Welcome to the Personal Financial Strategy Podcast, Rebecca. Hi. Thanks for having me here. Oh, so glad you could make it. I mentioned to you in our pre-show chat that uh, this is really my first interchange with a family business office. I'm very excited for it because I love the concept. I'm looking forward to kind of hanging some things on what I now think I know about family business offices and, and check the reality of what I know. Okay. So... At PFS, you know, we're, we're kind of focused on the blocking and tackling of personal finance, but always along the way on this journey, we eventually encounter the need for professional accounting, and that's your area of expertise. So I was wondering if you'd please tell us your story. Give us the path that leads up to what you're devoted to today. So I will tell you, I'm probably one of those kids you all hated when you were a kid um, because uh, numbers always came very easy to me. So um, I, I didn't really have to study that hard. They just, you know, just worked. So um, it was pretty, my, my father was an engineer and I took a mechanical drawing class and figured out that just seemed like way too much work. So my default, I was like, well, what else can I do that kind of works with numbers? So I went into accounting and I was really fortunate to be able to start with one of the, um, with Deloitte in Seattle. And what was really funny about my career start is I started the same day Touche and Deloitte merged. So that tells me a little bit of how, how long ago that was. Yeah. Um, but all the Deloitte people thought I was from Touche and all the Touche people thought I was from Deloitte. So I didn't have to be the new person. Oh. But um, yeah, so it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I, I really loved working there until I had children. And um, you start looking around and you realize there's one female partner who's divorced with one child. Oh, and gee. I tried to go back to work after uh, my first was born and I came back three days a week and I was still putting in 40 hours and it was July and <laughs> this is not working. So I ended up you know, kind of doing my own thing. And then as you know, I, I'm also, you know, when I do something, I kind of go all in. So I have four kids five years apart because we wanted four. Um, <laughs> Right. So we packed up those four kids in the U-Haul and moved across the state to Spokane. And my husband and I, you know, he's actually an engineer. He's the one that actually did those hard classes in college. <laughs> um, but we're like, well, what does it make sense? Do we do an engineering firm? Do we do an accounting firm? Well, it's probably easier to get accounting clients. So we opened up a firm. So my um, firm was actually started on my number four's first birthday. So oh, I figured I was kind of unemployable by anyone else because I had four kids and life happens and I needed to have that flexible schedule. So we started working with small business owners and I know that worked great until my kids kind of got into junior high and high school. And I was 
spending so much time at work, I didn't get to see them a lot. So I sold that firm thinking, okay, I'm going to work part-time. <laughs> and then I ended up working for a company. They brought me on as their CFO and um, was supposed to be, you know, 30 hours a week. And next thing you know, they're joining 500 and uh, it was way, uh, way more than full-time. And that was a wonderful experience, but I, I really, I'm very grateful for that opportunity because they had the opportunity to that a lot of outside accountants don't have. And that I got to not just do the outside accounting, but then be a part of the management team. And so, um, mm. it, you know, that firm was eventually brought in a money partner with his finance team. They bought me out or on, and like, well, now what I'm going to do, <laughs> I get a whole yeah. new, and uh, I got recruited into insurance and financial services which was a, a really, a, I thought I knew a lot more about it than I did. So that was a, a great learning experience. Yeah. But one of the things they said is, you know, well, you can't do taxes. And I'm going, well, what do you mean I can't do taxes? I've been doing taxes for, you know, almost 30 years. <laughs> and so, um, so that really didn't work. So I ended up going independent. And then I started working with clients and there was so much fear around money. Uh, I had one client very specifically who's, um, you know, again, statistically, we know these things that women usually outlive men, but she lost her husband. And even weeks after um, his passing, she was so terrified about um, making wrong decisions that her, she was literally shaking so hard she could barely oh. sign the paperwork to transfer accounts. And so part of me was we have to figure out a better way to figure out how to, to help people transfer wealth. And then I went back to my uh, management roots and say, well, how do we transfer transition leadership in a company? It's, it's really not any different. So mm -hmm. that basically helped us kind of put together this program to help people start um, managing family wealth like a business. And when we start looking at the numbers right now, uh, we're in the middle of what we call the great wealth migration, because sure. our baby, baby boomer generation is expected to transfer 30 trillion in assets to their next generation. Yes, exactly. That's wow. an amazing. And th this is a terrifying statistic. 90% uh, of those assets will, is expected to be spent or, and, or squandered um, by their children and grandchildren. So only 10% of those assets are expected to make it down to the great grandchildren. Right. And um, in a, anybody that's read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you understand the difference between treating those in, uh, your inheritance as an asset versus an income. And so you uh, say, like, well, what can we do about this? And people think, oh, it's all about the taxes. It's all about, you know, bad economy, you know, 97% of that loss is attributed to um, poor communication and lack of trust in the family and unprepared heirs. Right. So this is what's, you know, you really have to think about wealth transfer and, and what we're doing. And I've even had, uh, we start talking to, talking to some of our clients about how they're handling the transition. And for us in the Northwest, I mean, there's 26 states without an estate tax. That in Washington State, our estate tax limit is 2.2 million, and the poor people down in Oregon, um, their estate tax limit is at 1 million. And when we're having housing prices skyrocket, 
the average home in Seattle now, median is $903,000. That's the median? The median. Isn't that horrifying? So that means that everyday people are now in estate tax situations. Yeah, um, that's, right. that's exactly what that means. I mean, everybody's right. been catapulted. Right. And so, and then I have situations where I had a client call me and say, Hey, we got a whole bunch of money. We sold grandma's house for a million dollars, you know, her little everyday home. And she's 96. I'm like, you did what? Uh, Because (laughs) um, he basically created uh, almost a $200,000 tax bill that could have been a $0 tax bill because she was under the state tax limit here in Washington. Um, by not just waiting a few years to sell yeah. that house because yeah. she could have gotten, they could have gotten the step up in basis and um, kept 20% more of the assets and not paid that large capital gains tax. So, oh, man. Um, so that's when you start, you know, mm-hmm. that's what the, as accountants are good for is yeah. helping you with that strategy. Um, so that's yeah. really kind of my story and what we're focus on that and the other issue that we run into is well how we do family office services is we pretty much combine um, our team of professionals so we have trusted advisors we're an accounting and business consulting firm we're not a accounting firm per se because we do not do what they call a test services we don't do reviews or audits or compilations we just prepare taxes and help people with cash flow plans um but you know part of when you have dealing with personal finance is also helping people with their investments we have partners that help with investments we have partners that help with insurance we have partners who help with uh with legal entity structure so one of my favorite tools is the family llc and so the one this is it's funny because i even have a a book that was written years and years ago about family partnerships and before they even had family LLCs. And one of my very first tax returns when I was at Deloitte was this working with a family partnership. There was 106 partners in this partnership. Yes, back then. And great grandma and grandpa every year would gift a share of the assets to all those generations and do a gift tax, uh, basically transfer gifts um, so they could get assets out of their estate and move them into their children and grandchildren, great grandchildren's um, hands. So tax it was, free, right? I mean, you yeah, stay underneath the, the annual limit, right? And uh, so, so it's a, over time, it's a right over time. It's a great tool, tool to transfer assets. Um, and this, so it's, it's we're not doing anything new. We're mm-hmm. just a, a we just have a lot more people that are in the situation where they should be talking about and thinking about using these tools. And a perfect example is the Waltons with Walmart. So when Walmart was created, um, the Waltons formed a family partnership to own that company. And, uh, but that was back right after World War II where the rates were as high as 95%. So we don't have quite as much leeway on that, but Mm -hmm. they estimate he saved about 20% per year in income taxes by spreading that tax liability over the family. So, okay. you know, a little bit in a bunch of different uh, tax buckets and 80% on estate taxes because those no assets kidding. are already transferred. So uh, 
you know, we're not going to get Walmart results you know, yeah. <laughs> with a lot of our clients. Yeah, the but structure's the same, though. It is the same. And so anytime you have income producing assets that make sense to start that transition, time is your friend in asset right. planning. So we kind right. of like people to think about that. But the most important part about that is when you also typically you have kind of one family member that takes the lead on managing those assets. And, you know, what happens when that person isn't there? How do you transition? And if you're a business and you have a CEO who leaves, you don't turn around and hand the business over to the mail clerk that started two weeks ago. Mm. And that's right. what we're doing with our estates yeah. so many times because we don't talk about money. We don't plan mm -hmm. for money. So, mm -hmm. so for us, one of the things that is really important is not just the structure and the tax planning because we can help with that, but at any level is having clear communication between the family members on what's happening with the assets and what the plan is and who is going to take the responsibility for managing those assets. Uh, right. You can just spread them out to the family and expect that it's all going to be spent or what the Rockefellers always said is keep the money together. So you can do that in the family LLC and distribute income rather than assets for the family over many generations. And uh, we ran out the numbers and you, you know, over 50 year period, even if the a very modest return, you essentially, it's like, somewhere around 1.2 million in benefit versus almost 6 million in benefit by reinvesting just 2%, you know? <laughs> so, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so there's so much, it can go so much further if you take the, actually just use the income and treat your assets like assets or inheritance like assets. So mm -hmm. um, one other thing is with the family LLCs, the management of that money stays with the managers. So not you, you can keep the, the uh, management of the assets in the hands of the people that have the most experienced and most educated mm -hmm. to right. make those decisions. And we all like to pretend like we don't make emotional decisions about assets, but we right. know better. We make sure. emotional decisions and tr then try to back them by logic. Um, so we try to, you know, help those families do that. We, when we're doing our family office services, I think of ourselves as your advisor to manage your advisors, uh, because mm. so many of us have a tax advisor and a, uh, a financial advisor and an insurance right. agent and an attorney and who is coordinating all of that. So right. when you think about family office services, that's what we do. We kind of coordinate that. And in our case, because we have that management piece, we also coordinate and moderate the family meetings um, to help people keep on the same page. And one thing uh, which we've added into the mix for a lot of our families is what we call our family banking strategies. Uh, because we have such a low interest rate environment for our older generation, and we have younger generation going, how am I ever going to make a down payment on this house? Mm -hmm. We have some of our clients set up um, as part of that estate plan that they will create loans to help the younger generation get into those houses. And instead of leaving your money in a money market that's earning a quarter of a percent, 
Um, we did this actually for my niece who was bootstrapping a business. So she came right. in, she's like, oh, I had like 50,000 out on credit cards. It's COVID. And, you know, she was so stressed out because oh. it was taking her longer to get her business rolling than she yeah. expected. And um, then we're like, well, there's money earning nothing. So we loaned her uh, 75,000 so she could have some working capital at 5% instead of 15%. Yeah. And uh, we're helping her get her business off on a good start. And so now it's it's been almost a year since we gave her that loan but it was night and day on her stress level and now grandma's getting five percent and yeah yeah and um and and because there's accountability uh essentially that will come you know actually her mom said if she doesn't pay it back it comes out of my portion of the estate right Uh Uh but that's the thing is you you want to have accountability you want to pay back grandma you know right (laughs) you bet but yeah. if you can get a little help from your family, it just helps our young people get off to a little stronger start. Right, and, right. Um, Boy, I, I, I'm thinking about the utility of that, especially as I, you know, as we all are, you know, with gas prices rising, groceries going on out over the roof and trying to look into our crystal balls as much as we can man i think i think programs like that in the coming year Mm -hmm. um are are really going to be key and and uh because i'm not sure where where banks will be or where (laughs) where credit cards will be and uh you know the the traditional places that young entrepreneurs go for money Mm -hmm. i'm not sure about where they're going to be right um, and the general rule of thumb if you're the person lending the money is mm-hmm. you don't lend money to family that you need so right you know, we keep you know, that's really one important part is with these family llc's the, the assets and money that go into those are extra so sure. wherever that extra is for you um, mm-hmm. so one mm-hmm. of the first things we do is we run an analysis with our clients and make sure that they've got cash flow um, enough money so they're retiring comfortable comfortably we've got a plan if they need long-term care at a later date and we do not want to transfer assets that people actually need but Mm -hmm. we have this whole generation of people that um, the good savers that put money into those 401ks they've got a lot of assets and they're not spending them all and um, so then it's a it's a plan to um, you know really help that next generation and unfortunately it's also a, a sometimes really important to have the guardrails and safety net in place as uh, one of my clients gave me a really uh, heart-rending story where one of her friends um or her son's her grandson's friend inherited four hundred thousand dollars when he was 19 mm. and she he and her her grandson took that money and basically blew through it and that kid ended up dead and her grandson ended up with a a drug addiction oh my gosh um and so that is kind of worst case scenario but uh you have to be careful in transferring Mm -hmm. large Mm -hmm. assets and to make sure that whoever is in charge of them it will um have the experience to not have it ruin their lives. Right, right. You know, you hear, you hear those stories connected to lottery winners all the time. 
Right. Yeah. It's, but if uh, they're not the ones that ha- that expended the blood, sweat, and tears into building those assets, it does take time. So that's why we have this transition plan and we start working with the family and have, you know, family members be part of the management team right. in making decisions and start to gradually building that just like you do with a, your CEO from your business. You right. don't just hand the company over. Right. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom that needs to be passed on before you transfer the actual right. management of those assets just to, um, you know, to keep them obviously and to allow the family to benefit them for many generations but also so they're not spent and squandered. Right, right. You know, what I like about um, the program you're outlining here is that one aspect that, I mean, I like a lot about it, but one aspect I really like is that you guys are mindful of the communication channel and just the need, uh, the the very high need to talk about everything and communicate clearly on everything before actions take place and people get blindsided or aren't prepared or don't really know what's going on. That communication piece, I think that you guys seem to have a really good handle on and in fact, manage, in fact, facilitate. And that, I think that's real as important as almost anything else. Well, that's because I worked with a business who had no communication and learned how to implement communication. And I saw what it huge difference it made in that daily operation of our organization. And so um, having gone through that as a um, in business leadership, business uh, as a CFO, and it's just night and day between proper communication and good communication. Because uh, otherwise, especially when you're talking about money and family, because there's always all those emotions mm. behind there. Uh, and it, it can be very helpful to have a third-party moderator as part of those discussions. Yes. Uh, people tend to behave themselves a little <laughs> better. And, <laughs> and you know, that's part of the management is mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. those or working through those issues. Because one thing that really surprised me when I'm working with entrepreneurs is how much money is a mental game rather than just a, the ability to collect assets. So I would have our business clients and we'd have one client you know, say, oh, they make $100,000 that year and they're used to making thirty dollars or $40,000. And then the next year they would have a, a loss, a $70,000 loss because their mind was like, well, no, I'm, I don't make $100,000. You know, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just, I, I couldn't figure it out. I was like, what is, what happens here? What's going on? that's a, a big part of it is that you have to mentally grow into I'm somebody that owns these assets. Otherwise you're just going to blow through them because right. you're, you're in your mind. You're not someone that has wealth. Yeah. I'm still a numbers person. I'm very much a numbers person, but the older yeah. I get, the more I realize that getting your mind right is the most important part so absolutely um and if we can help facilitate that and i guess that's probably the big difference between working with someone who just does your taxes and i will be honest if you try to just do your planning in the middle of tax season uh you're not going to get the best advice because they just don't have the time and mental energy right um, and so if you're, you are making these decisions 
I highly advise you to schedule those meetings after April 15th. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, but it's always makes sense to have an annual meeting with your tax preparer, tax professional, or your financial advisors outside of tax season, yes. because we just don't get enough sleep. I'll, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really hard to do that really deep planning. And for me, it's a lot more strat- strategy uh-huh. than actually filling out boxes. What makes the most sense? I had a client come in uh, just last week and he was going, well, mom passed and we have this farmland and, you know, my brother and sister don't want to have anything to do it. Should I take money out and buy them out of this farmland? Uh I'm like, well, you're 70 something. Do you really want to take on another, um, another piece of property and deal with all the maintenance and, and what happens with you? Are your children going to take it? And, and it was really nice to have that really frank discussion I could have that with them because I, I was and I told them I understand you grew up there so mm-hmm. you're going to be emotionally attached to that property but I just want you to think really hard about the realities of owning another piece of property and mm-hmm. uh, there's always a cost and if you're not it's not an income producing piece of property somebody's got to pay the taxes somebody's got to do the maintenance somebody has to pay for weed control when you get noxious weeds and here's a $5,000 bill. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So, so those things, it, yes, owning real estate is a, it's a wonderful asset, but there's got to be a cost there and a plan to maintain it. Right. There's- and, um, and so, you know, it was really, I saw that he kind of thought about it. He, I think he was pretty adamant about wanting that property. And yeah. after we had a little heart to heart, he was like, Oh, maybe I don't really want to take yeah. on another um, 20 acres when I'm in my seventies right. that my kids don't want. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, that's a, yeah. that's another huge advantage to aligning with an FBO is, is just some objectivity mm-hmm. over the whole situation. Um, right. No emotions. <laughs> just, let's right. just, let's, let's just look at the numbers and see what, see what they, how they speak to us. <laughs> right. And that is always what it boils down to, because again, we want to make these emotional decisions, but if you don't run the numbers first, you don't have all the facts. And so you may be making a decision about what you think is going to happen rather than what is most likely to happen. And, uh, I, I use Excel spreadsheets a lot on those yeah, analysis. I'll bet. Um, it might not that we don't have wonderful planning software too, but yeah. sometimes it's just a matter of, well, what happens if we do this versus this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you bet. Yeah. Well, Rebecca, um, I'm thinking uh, what, I'm, I know you've given this some thoughts. So um, as, as we think about people listening to this right now, um, if you were to outline the ideal prospect that would get the most value from aligning with your business, what would that, what kind of considerations would, would they be looking at? Well, most of the time we find that uh, people that have at least 5 million in assets have money they're not going to spend during their retirement. Uh, it's more than most people will spend. Now, not saying everyone, because there are some people that have are used to 
living up with a pretty high paycheck and they may not actually spend more than that. But in general, uh, we, we can almost always run the numbers out and find that people that have that much in assets will be leaving money to their children and grandchildren. And so the more time you have, and so, or will, it will be 5 million when they're expected to pass on. Sometimes it may not be 5 million now, but we know Mm -hmm. we're spending X and it's growing this much. And um, so down the road, there will be that amount of money. Then, then it makes sense to start putting a plan together. I mean, and a lot of that is because Washington state has, uh, our estate tax limit is a little under 2.2 million. It's 12 over 12 million now on the federal level, but that's expected to go back to six um, in 2026 until they change their mind again. Yeah, um, around exactly. <laughs> six. Um, so round numbers because they change every year. But so it's if you're just purely looking, I need to save some estate taxes then yeah, yeah, you can have a 24 million, 12 million each estate and not have that issue. But if you're going to be leaving assets and you want your family to have a plan and a transition plan so they can take over that money and use it wisely and not spend or squander it, then that's, we have benefit. Plus there can oftentimes be income tax savings opportunities by transferring some of that income producing property into the family LLC and have that tax spread off over many families instead of just one family, especially with the net investment tax and paying mm-hmm. 3.8%. You know, if, yeah. you can, if you can get income down so that no one has to pay that extra 3.8%, that's yeah. ideal. So, mm-hmm. so um, it, it varies by family, but that's why the first thing we, we do is look at a cash flow plan and see if it, this even makes sense. I do not like to create extra entities or extra taxable things for people unless it makes financial sense. Right. Because um, then you're just creating a, a burden. Um, right, so, right. So sometimes, if you, but you can still use the tools and the planning and have a you can still have family meetings whether sure. you have an LLC or not. That's you can right. Talk about what's going on with the family assets mm-hmm. and what the plans are. And um, most importantly, one of the things we we do is we'll help people write their family legacy letter. And that seems kind of silly, but it's basically your vision. If you're the person that created all these assets, what do you want your family to do with it? So. That's really kind of one of the that's very fun interesting about it, right? Because if you're um, passing on money, uh, and and especially because we're such an independent society, it's like, well, it's not my money; it's your money. What do you want us to do with it? Yeah. So, what's important to you? Is it making sure your grandchildren great grandchildren have secondary education? Do you want them to bootstrap businesses? What about charity charitable giving? Do you want a certain amount to go to charity to support your favorite charities long-term? Um, all of that can go into, you know, I bit like it's basically like creating the vision. And if you work in, in management, the vision also always has to come from the CEO. What's the big plan? And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm we can help you create that. And then because of the organizational structure, the mission, which is how you accomplish the big plan, 
can be modified and adjusted over time by the people managing the family LLC. Gotcha. Gotcha. So again, strategies that are being used and <laughs> across right. companies wonder, all over the country. I love that. That's, uh, you know, I can hear from the perspective of someone who's may, maybe more closer to my season of life. You right. know, I, I, I plan on sticking around for a while longer, but Me too. Uh, I'm a lot closer <laughs> than I ever have been to, to needing to think about those things. Um, what about the, what would you say to the person who um, was uh, the heir who was ill-prepared to uh, inherit business concerns as well as large sums of money. And it kind of happened almost unexpectedly, but it just happened in a, in, in a day or in a month. And now, you know, they were, they were cruising along in life doing just, just fine. But now uh, the parent has, has uh, passed and all of the business concerns to a very, of a very shrewd business person have now been uh, conveyed to someone that really has been detached from all of that. Mm-hmm. And now, now they're, can you guys help someone in that kind of a situation, a, an error? Yes. And actually that's one of, if you're saying, what should they do? Find mm-hmm. someone you can trust to help you that has that experience mm-hmm. uh, and has worked with situations like that. Not, and, and don't jump into the first solution. Make sure you take the time to really analyze it. If you're having some, you, somebody passes unexpectedly that's leading a business, of course you have to make sure the day-to-day operations and that business concern is, is going to operate. You know, that's priority number one is keeping that business happening because if it falls apart, now you've just lost, you can lose thousands and thousands of dollars in value uh, sure. by not help and it doesn't have to be you because there's people that have been working in that business probably for years right and can help you transition that so but I actually you say that but I was just at the dentist talking to my hygienist and she goes yeah my cousin he just just inherited all this money and they had property in Montana and they keep on have, finding bank accounts that have five or six hundred thousand dollars each in them and so it, your scenario isn't so very far from the truth it happens a lot and because we have this money taboo people don't talk about money right then you kind of you know, if you handle that properly you can basically set yourself up for life mm-hmm. but if you um, don't take the time and and the, most likely you will have to have more phone calls than you ever wanted with people that are going to help you um, mm-hmm. analyze that money um, and, and invest it and do something. You know, right. I, yeah. Right. So you, you want to be really careful. You want to work with someone who's a fiduciary who will put your business interests first. And oftentimes that tends to fall through CPAs. I know as a registered investment advisor, um, you know, our firm that does that, our registered our investment advisors also are fiduciaries, but not quite in the same way that accountants are, if that makes sense. Because yeah, yeah. there's still some incentive. Yeah, they get paid, yeah. a lot of them get paid, unless they're a fee only 
advisor, they'll get paid on commission. So if you can right. find someone that does not get paid on a commission, that'll give you that advice. Um, that's really kind of your, your best choice, but um, sit down, run the numbers, come out with a plan, figure out what you are interested in keeping or not keeping because you're taking over someone's life and you may not be interested in running that business. So um, find out, you know, with the transition plan and hopefully there is a plan in place. Most businesses will have some kind of succession plan mm -hmm, at least mm -hmm. discussed um, and then figure out where you want to fit into that because it's really important. It's your life. It's not your parents or grandparents life. And mm -hmm. so I always kind of say, first start out with where you want to live and what you want to do and then figure out what you're or basically where you want to live and what kind of life work you out from have. there yes and then figure out how you're going to uh, make the money to make it happen if right. that, so rather than the other way so mm -hmm. you don't want to inherit that um, have that burden kind of overtake your life it was if it wasn't your plan say you've been studying to be a doctor and all of a sudden you have <laughs> a family right. business. I mean, what's more important to you? And there's right. no right or wrong answer. Those, when it comes to money, it's your life and you make those decisions. But if you can figure out how to get those assets to work for you, that's ideal because right. you have to first remember that owning a business is not the same thing as managing a business. And there are a lot of business owners that do not have an active role in that business and still profit from that business. You sure. do that every time you buy a share of stock. That's right. Yeah. So um, you don't necessarily have to destroy the family business if it isn't your thing. Right. Um, but you can, you know, you can figure out whether that fits in the plan or, um, and just take it one step at a time and take kind of big picture, but spend some time, oftentimes, I like to get outside, honestly, <laughs> and ground yourself in some place that's outside that has in nature. I think they did some mm -hmm. study about this. Trees tend to help us calm down <laughs> a little bit. I <laughs> don't know me. if it's extra oxygen or something, yeah. but you know, really spend some time reflecting before you jump to conclusions yeah. because there's very few emergencies in money. We're not in ER, you're not making right. life and death decisions, it's money. Right. And so um, you can take the time you need to make the decisions that are best for you and your family moving forward. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a good calm hand. It's just, it's money. It's, it's, it's not life or death. It's money. Okay. Right. You can always make more money, right? Sure. sure. But if you're given a windfall, let's, that's kind of gives you a huge opportunity and just be really grateful right? yeah because um, yeah, then you didn't have to put the blood sweat and tears in to make that happen right right get the benefit and that's what honestly i'm uh, when you talk family um what a gift you know to yeah. really be able to pass on and yeah, help absolutely. your family absolutely so. Well, Rebecca, um, if someone listening falls in one of those two categories and they'd like to get in touch with you, what's the very best way to get in touch with you? So we 
um, we have our traditional maxqtc.com um, accounting firm um, website, but with our family banking strategies, we actually just launched this website a few weeks ago, and it talks a little bit more about what we're talking about with the family LLCs. So that's um, www.familybankingstrategies.com. And if you scroll down at the bottom, there's a link. You can actually schedule uh, a one-on-one. -on -one. We offer complimentary consultations. And if you join our mailing list, we, act we are actually going to be having a webinar in July to help people put together that uh, vision statement, basically their legacy letter for their family. So if you fall into those categories, we'd love to talk to you and see if we might be helpful in planning that asset transition. And also just, you know, my goal is, is money. I want to help people have peace of mind about their money. Um, it shouldn't be something that stresses you out to the point that you cannot sign a document. Uh, you know, right. let's come up with a plan and um, enjoy life. Like, it's a tool. It's, it's, it is. we don't want it to be a burden. So let's use that tool to help our life be more full and beneficial and meet our personal goals and our family goals, take care of one another. Yeah, well, that's a great note to end on. Rebecca, thank you so much for being with us. And appreciate you uh, sharing your wisdom with us. Until next time, strategists, keep on strategizing.